Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. everybody and welcome to our first episode of 2022. This is Wild Wild Podcast and we're finishing off today a little mini season on the Decameron inspired films from the early 1970s. Uh, with me as ever is Rod Barnett. Hello Rod. Hello Adrian, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, I am really good. Thank you. And how was your how was your Christmas? Uh, nice and quiet, which is exactly what I wanted. There's just too much uh, too much hectic activity in my life, and it's good to ha- it was good to have a, a day or so where I could uh, not have to be anywhere. Did you manage to get the opportunities to catch up on your huge stack of unwatched Blu-rays over Christmas? Uh, I wouldn't say catch up, but I did make a dent. <laughs> <laughs> I watched. We're never uh, gonna, I watched a few. We, we're never going to catch up, are we? Uh, that's no, <laughs> that's. I. I have. Uh, yeah, I have come to the conclusion that catching up is an impossibility. But I think that waging uh, a constant battle against the uh, the giant stacks of DVDs and Blu-rays and the mm-hmm. ever encroaching desire to see more that's part of the joy. But I mean, yeah, I did. I was able to uh, take some time to see to to to, to watch some things that. I was really happy to finally watch some things that, you know, fresh to DVD and some things that are really, really obscure and in some cases uh, terrible. So, yeah. Yeah. So keeping with the uh, Italian theme, were there any any Italian movies in there? Um, Let's see. Italian. Well, yeah. Shot in Italy. I, I did rewatch for the first time in years and years and years, both Flesh for Frankenstein and Blood for Dracula, the... Uh, the two uh, the two Paul Morrissey films uh, that I have I literally had not seen in probably I want to say 15 18 years something like that and mm-hmm. uh, that th- so that was a joy but I don't know that I would call those Italian movies um, well I don't know I think it counts well, I did watch uh, for the first time uh, gang war in Milan 
the Umberto Lindsay crime film from 73. Oh, yeah, that's really good. Yeah, it's a good one. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And uh, the But the biggest surprise to me was I watched the British, uh, the British uh, film 80,000 Suspects from 1963, uh, written and directed by Val mm. Guest, and it oh, yeah. was fantastic. I've still got that sitting in my cupboard, which I haven't watched yet, but I know I should. Well, this is the perfect time, uh, considering it yeah. uh, it's about a, a, a pandemic outbreak. <laughs> pandemic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, a really good, it's a really good film. Maybe that's what's been putting me off. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe, man, I got to tell you, it's, a, it's an exceptional movie. Very well written, very mm. well directed. Val Guest was, I think he's, he continues to be an undersung genius of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just, he's incredible. Yeah, I really like the uh, Day the Earth Caught Fire. That's his, isn't it? Uh, yes, uh, and uh, you know he did the first two Quatermass films, uh, mm. When Dinosaurs Ruled the Earth, uh, a couple of a couple of war movies for Hammer as well. Um, he's just one of those guys who really, really knew what he was doing, and uh, mm-hmm. just amazing. My most dire watch was uh, in an attempt to watch uh, some of the more obscure films that starred uh, Spanish actress Emma Cohen. I watched oh, yeah. uh, the 1975 film. It's a Spanish uh, Robin Hood film called Robin Hood Never Dies. Oh my God! It's it's you know we found a trunk of Robin Hood clothing. Let's attempt to use fifteen dollars to make a Robin Hood film. It's miserably bad. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's... Well, it's good. Sometimes you need to watch the bad to then, when you see something that's maybe not brilliant but not terrible, it helps you to appreciate it a bit more. It readjusts like... your it readjusts your yeah. scale. Yeah. Bit, bit like our film we're watching today perhaps um <laughs> i i caught up the other day with nosferatu in venice oh yeah interesting film i and, don't know yeah what did you think yeah i yeah interesting is the way well what i thought if i felt like i was watching i don't know about you but over lockdown i've watched quite a lot of videos on youtube of traveling like tours walking tours yeah. boat tours um what we really like to watch are train films where you've just got a camera at the front of a train that's going through norway interesting yeah i've seen some of that stuff yeah like just eight hours of a train going through the snow we love that stuff in our house but anyway so watching watching nosferatu in venice there's so much just walking around venice that i felt a bit like i was watching one of these lockdown walking tours uh on youtube except every so often it looked like david bowie from labyrinth jumps out (laughs) and rips somebody's shirt off um, and bites her on the neck, and that was that, that was kind of my, that was how I felt about that film. Well, the, but the, the, it did make it. Sorry, go oh, on. I was just going to say it's it's a fascinating film in that it's mostly a sequel to Nosferatu, and you know, as mm-hmm. if made by someone who just wanted to make an exploitation film. And then there are moments of it that really just feels like we're watching a, a semi, a, a little bit of the behind the scenes documentary of trying to coerce uh, Klaus Kinski into doing what he's told. <laughs> it's bizarre. It did make me think we should do a little uh, Italian vampire season on here at some point, though. Well, that could be fun, yeah. Yeah, because there's quite actually quite a lot of those when you think about it. But mm-hmm. yeah, so I, I watched that, and I also watched the uh, Michele Suave's film Stage Fright the other day. I guess that's just I like that out. film. Yeah, that's just come out on Blu-ray over here, and I'd never seen it before. Like most of these films, I'm coming to them for the first time usually, um, and that was really interesting. Yeah, I enjoyed that. I could see how that would have been a really popular VHS back in the day mm-hmm. um 
and yeah I, that was an interesting movie but anyway that might be another one to work into a season at some point maybe in just a bunch of Soave films in a row or something oh I, but I, anyway, I, would, I, would, I would love to do that yeah yes yeah absolutely um i mean i'm quite keen to get to our film oh i did watch as well i did a, i had i gave myself like a, a little mini film festival on the last day before i had to go back to work and i watched about six movies and so one of them as well as those two as mentioned was uh, pasolini's arabian nights which i watched in preparation for today um and they have barely anything in common at all <laughs> but i wanted to do because obviously that's what we'd the films that we've been talking about have been based around what pasolini was doing but what's particularly interesting with what we're doing today so pasolini's arabian nights came out in 1974 and the film that we're talking about today is by antonio margariti uh, or anthony dawson as he is in the credits and it's his version which was called finalmente Le mille e una notte, which means finally a thousand and one nights. Yes. And so, but that came out in 1972. So he actually beat Pasolini <laughs> by two years, <laughs> which is which is amazing. And, but yeah, and you, Pasolini was was not a happy man at the best of times. And I think this whole, as we've talked about before, this whole thing hacked him off completely, which is why he went off to make Salo uh, after he did Arabian Nights because he was so annoyed. The audiences were going to see all these ripoffs of his his movies, so I think what happened was they knew the Italian filmmakers after the first Decameron, they knew what Pasolini was planning to do, and so they started with you know making all these Decameron films and Canterbury Tales films that we talked about last time. Um, now there don't seem to be that many. I was trying to. It's very difficult because they had so many titles. Most of the Italian Decameronici films seem to be either Decameron or Canterbury Tales based. Mm -hmm. I couldn't see any others that appear to be purely Arabian Nights, apart from this one. Um, there might be some more, but I, I couldn't spot them. But yeah, it's interesting that he did this before Pasolini got there, but it was still basically cashing in on Pasolini's trilogy well i think that the reason there probably aren't more of these types of films these arabian nights films is they're probably a little bit more expensive to shoot i mm. mean you're talking about 
there, there's no way to reuse these costumes for some other type of you know some other type of setting. So yeah, you're not unless you're not they still up. had a load of unless they still had a load of peplum costumes in storage from ten years earlier. But even uh, that, I don't then, know. Yeah, no. But what is interesting? I really liked this film actually. But the you mentioned there, yeah, it does look expensive. It looks like they shot a lot of it on location. Oh yeah, and I'm not. I've I've been able to find very little information about the film and where it was made. Well, the exteriors I'm not sure about, but it's definitely yeah. somewhere in a desert setting. And and this is and you know it's those uh, it's those bits under the opening credits that really sell mm. the location. But yeah, I did find a spot. I did find a uh, uh, I found out I found out where the like the Sultan's uh, castle that that interior. Oh. I did find out that that's actually in Italy in florence uh the interior the the main set where the where the stories are being told to the uh to to the to the to the sultan uh they're in a the castle of samazerno in leccio in there in florence uh it's uh yeah yeah i've seen a lot of photographs of it it's like yeah it looks like something right out of scheherazade but it's in italy yeah that's really interesting because those some of those interiors are amazing um, and so I did wonder how they did that. So that makes sense. So yeah, it looks like the exteriors were shot somewhere in the Middle East, um, and it, it, it does feel like Margariti was going back to the old ground that he trod when he made the Golden Arrow. Yeah, which is a film that you and I uh, spoke about on your podcast um, a couple of years ago. I'll um, I'll I'll tweet that out. Um, but yeah, the, the, I mean this obviously even down to the whole flying carpet thing there's a lot of connections between between the two films even though they're about 10 years apart well one of the things we sh- we should tell people that one of the reasons maybe why margariti's films they they have a tendency to look bigger than their budgets is because he was you know willing to tromp off into the middle of nowhere to shoot his films i mean he was all yeah. over the place i mean he would go shoot in turkey he would shoot in the middle east he would go to the canary islands he would go anywhere mm-hmm. It seems. I mean, maybe I would love. I would love to see an inter- an interview with him somewhere where someone asked the question: Are you making these films because it allows you a, a good a good vacation someplace that you yeah, want to visit? That's very true. I think he went to Brazil when he did the uh, Indio, and Indio too. I oh, think I they think were you're in Brazil right. Or something. Yeah, he was a very well traveled uh, well traveled guy, and yeah, this does. And he even went. He did. He did go to Hong Kong when he made. Um, Oh, what was that really bad one called? Oh, you mean the Mr. Hercu- Mr. Mr. Hercules, Hercules versus Karate? Yeah, that. Oh, you're right. That was shot in Hong Kong, and it didn't yeah. make the film any better. Ugh. No, sadly. Um, so this film, yeah. So in in English territories, it had a couple of different names. In the UK, it was actually this did get a release in 1975. So three years later, it was shown over here under the title. Bed of a Thousand Pleasures. Mm. <laughs> and but if you look it up, I think possibly in America it was known as House of a Thousand Pleasures. That's what it's um, on the IMDb. Yeah. It says it was known as House of a Thousand Pleasures. And there's a poster for the film House of a Thousand Pleasures on there. But it doesn't look anything like this film. So I don't know if that's a mistake or... Because I thought there was, wasn't there House of a Thousand Pleasures a Vincent Price film? <laughs> no, was that House no. of a Thousand Dolls. Uh, no, that I, I, I. Oh, now you're confusing me. House of a Thousand. Oh, there's like. A, 
There's like a Night of a Thousand Cats. That's not a Vincent Price film, though. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the I've seen the title for this listed as A Thousand and One Nights of Pleasure and House, yeah. you know, House of a Thousand and One uh, Pleasures. Uh, you know, I, yeah. I don't know if maybe some distributor somewhere thought, ah, movies, you know, we're, we're making a good a good deal of money off movies that start with the word house. Let's sling that in there. Yeah, let's throw that in there. But yeah, I, I, I think Bed of a Thousand Pleasures is pretty funny. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, uh, so we've talked about the locations and that's really fascinating to know that's in Florence. I've been to Florence, but I was only there for an afternoon and it is a spectacular place but i didn't get to look in any castles i basically <laughs> i saw i saw the sort of the main stuff in the middle of the city and i saw the um michelangelo's david and that was about it i was, I was only there for so a couple of hours courtyards and museums essentially yeah but it was very cool and i'd love to go back i mean i right now i'd love to go anywhere <laughs> so i'm so bored of not traveling anywhere ever um but if I do ever manage to get back to Florence, I will go and find this place. That would be really, really funny. So, yeah, it's an interesting movie, and it takes as its basis... Because what's interesting with A Thousand and One Nights, obviously we know about Aladdin and we know about Ali Baba, all these kind of stories that come out of it. Isn't Sinbad from A Thousand and One Nights as well? I do I believe think. so. At least there is a connection. So. I'm not sure if it was yeah. actually one of them, but it's... It, it's very possible I hate to say that yeah. I don't remember and the, it goes it's based around the idea that Shazerada is telling these stories and she has to tell a new story every night so the, there's this collection of this like thousand and one stories um, and what I liked about this film was although they've basically made it all up they're still keeping the sense that this is about telling stories mm -hmm. which is something that in Pasolini's film doesn't really happen we just see a few different stories and they sort of intertwine um there is there is one story that's being told to somebody but for the most part we're just seeing a bunch of quite random stories <laughs> that generally generally involve people having to take their clothes off um yes yeah that's it's a yeah pretty extraordinary film um it's not as good as canterbury tales like canterbury tales is mad there's some really insane stuff in that film uh, I think he was running out of energy maybe by the time he got to Arabian Nights also he didn't cast himself he's in the other two but he's not in this one Yeah. but anyway so there's very little that connects them other than there's a kind of linking story that runs all the way through Pasolini's film about uh, the slave Zumarud who um hooks up with this guy and they're in love and then he loses her and he has to find her and it takes most of the movie for him to find Zumarud and so I was interested when we with this film when the film starts and we meet um, the Sultan and he's getting this new slave girl and her name is Zumarud right so an obvious connection kept, yeah yeah so that was kept which I thought was good but but then obviously what happens there is completely different so what I thought we would do I've got um, the film was reviewed in monthly film bulletin for its UK release mm. so I thought we could use the review because it's quite helpful in its quite lengthy plot summary so we can go through this and then we'll just throw in um, what we think if you like I have much to um, say yes 
Good. Okay. And I should preface this I, I, before we get too deeply into this. I don't think. Yeah, okay. I, I don't think we're going to be very cruel about this. But um, no. both of us are avowed fans of Antonio Margheriti, the director of this film. Uh, but uh-huh. we also are well aware that um, he didn't always make a great film. And in a lot of cases, for me at least, maybe maybe the same for you. I'm not sure. I'm not willing to put you on the same boat with me uh, on this in this statement. <laughs> Uh, the the moment that Antonio Margheriti starts playing around with comedy, it's dire. I mean, just mm. dire. Yes. I have never seen a comedy that Antonio Margheriti has made that I have I would ever rate higher than about uh, a a four on the <laughs> one to ten scale of quality yeah. because they, they, they I, I I don't think his sense of what a, a mass audience wanted in comedy matches mine in any way shape or form and so therefore only occasionally do i find anything in his comedies to be funny um Mm -hmm. so maybe it's good that in movies like this he's taking so many shots that occasionally he manages to almost accidentally make me laugh but yes that's something we should we should preface this with is that we are (laughs) fans of the director but uh that Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be kind to one of his comedic efforts that is true, and obviously we've been talking about Italian comedy across the podcast with our, uh, our Franco and Ciccio film, yeah. Ciccio. Oh God, don't start that um, again. Don't don't do that and, to me. Don't. <laughs> and then obviously the last two films we've done have been comedies that have quite hit and miss. I will say up front, I thought quite a lot of this was funny. I laughed quite a lot in this movie. If I'm going to be honest i i laughed I, I laughed a little bit i have to admit and there are a few moments yeah. that i thought were pretty clever but and there's yeah there's also some stuff that is really quite offensive these days i don't even it's not uh, even the offensive stuff that bothers me it's the stuff that it's just no. obvious it's just over obvious to the point of let's make sure the eight-year-olds can get this joke you know yeah although eight-year-olds really shouldn't be watching <laughs> yeah but they will uh. be trust me <laughs> <laughs> so this film was an X-rated film in the UK, um, the, primarily because there's just a lot of naked girls. Yeah. Oh yeah. In this movie, um, so we start with these amazing location shots where we see this um, the Sultan, I think he is, and he has this re- reputation for being a great lover, <laughs> and he's been gifted a new slave girl, Zumarud. Yep. Who. Uh, is for this renowned beauty and she's going to become his slave and that's fine because this is the old days and slaves are allowed um, apparently and so they come into the palace and then um, there is a, a sort of the guy that brings her, I'm not sure who he is I don't know, like her agent or the guy that's selling her or, or yeah. sure. we're not really interested because we're more interested in, in him and, and and Ali staring and at the naked slave girls. Zimmerud. So yeah, so Zimmerud begins to do the dance of the seven veils. And uh and this is a great entertainment value for all the all the people in the court who are watching. But and then he and he's been told he's telling him a story as she removes each veil, it's about wind blowing and other things happen and then something else happens which causes another veil to fall mm-hmm. until she's she's down to just one veil. And then that's up to uh, to this sultan. He's the the wind that will remove the final veil. 
And so they retire <laughs> to uh, his little room full of cushions where uh, they're going to get down to it. But all of a sudden, there's this terrible cry because he uh, can't perform. And he doesn't understand why. And it must be somebody else's fault. Well, of course, because it's not just because he's an old fat (laughs) guy. No, exactly. He's been drinking too much wine. Um, So he demands that his uh, courtiers sort this out and get him going again. And so they decide that the way they're going to do that is by gathering together a bunch of people who just happen to be there. I don't know who these people are. And they have to come and tell him stories to uh, to stimulate and arouse him. Erotic so tales. Can, yeah. So that he can then get it on with Zumarud, who's just sitting there. I don't think she speaks, actually, in the whole film. Yeah. Um, she's, uh, but her name is on the poster, so there's a, there is that at least. <laughs> she, so Zumarud uh, is played by an actress called Femi... Benusi, mm-hmm. who I didn't particularly recognise, and she's basically just there to be to wear a big wig and be nude. Well, I, I definitely have seen her in other films. Uh, I don't. I have to admit that what I remember about her is that she's stunningly attractive and quite photogenic. Mm-hmm. But the you know mm-hmm. I you know I've seen her in uh, you know mostly mostly small roles. I'll have to admit. I mean, she's she's in uh, Baba's Hatchet for the Honeymoon and and uh, uh, oh yeah, and, ho- and I think yeah. she's in Strip Nude for Your Killer. Yeah, exactly. Where you see just yeah. about all of her. Uh, she was also in uh, <laughs> uh, Bloody Pit of Horror in in uh, oh, 1965 course, yeah. and uh, So Sweet So Dead, which is a really good film. She's got a role in that and the Italian Connection and. And you know, basically, a lot of a lot of films in the '70s where the main re- requirement for her to be in the film was to be naked. Uh, yeah. She worked with Antonio Margheriti on uh, um, the spaghetti western Blood Money, which is uh, uh, also you know it's it's the uh, the 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 karate film with uh, Lee Van Cleef. You know, the the, the 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 spaghetti western with Lee Van Cleef. She's she's one of the uh, I believe she's. Uh, the one of the one of the women who has part of the you know part of the the uh, uh, part of the map for the treasure they're searching for in that particular film uh, tattooed on her backside. So once again, just be naked. Oh, not again. Uh, yeah. You know, well, it's blood money. Now, it's it's also could, known as the Stranger in the Gunfighter. It's got a lot of titles. Yeah, you could write a book, and I've sometimes thought about it. <laughs> of all the films where the plot revolves around a woman who's got a map to secret treasure tattooed on her bum. I'm surprised there haven't been just loads of books there written about so, it. Yeah. So many. So many. So <laughs> many of those. In other words, it's one of those, well, here's the, okay, I'll tell this funny story. This film became famous in the town in which I went to uh, the last couple of years of high school because um, it, was, it was it was a film that got brought in uh, in case they needed a movie to show to the entire high school population for like a for mm. like you know to like kill time for you know for some whatever reason you know some kind of what whatever it may be and somebody did not preview this film and they showed the stranger and the gunfighter to a high school crowd oh, wow. which is which you know is rife with not just you know it's not just that it's a western which is what clearly made the people who made this choice think it was going yeah, to be think, perfectly oh, safe fine. but it's just like yeah. you know a, a lot of naked women's butts uh, which you know is is not something you want to show to a juvenile crowd, 
trapped oh. in, a, in a high school being forced to watch a movie on 16 millimeter. Oh. Uh, and what what's terrible is that I was I, I was not there for this. This apparently had happened the year before I started going to to school there, and yet it was still such a legendary story that it was being talked about forever afterwards. Yeah, I can imagine that's quite a happy um, high school memory. <laughs> Well, like I say, I missed it, but uh, there you go. But uh, yeah, she's uh, she's quite uh, Femi. Uh, is it Benusia? Benusia? Yeah, Benusi. Benusi. Okay, she's absolutely yeah. gorgeous. Uh, and of course, yeah. you know, she was in <laughs> uh, so many erotic adventure stories in Malabisia yeah. in '78, where she she oh, she plays yeah. uh, she plays a role there. It's uh, it, 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 it's well, it's a strange road to go down, folks. But you can yeah, if you wish. She was, she was working. Oh yeah, so that's good. She was getting plenty of work. Um, so <laughs> I should also mention um, the Sultan himself, Sultan Al Mahmud, was played by Luigi Antonio Guerra, mm-hmm. who was in our film last time, The Sexbury Tales. Um, although I'm not sure which role, which story he was, but I think he was. He was somebody in there. There were so many characters in that film, I can't remember. But anyway, so they can't do it, and so they need some erotic tales to uh, to get it all, get him going, uh-huh. uh, get him into action. So this is where we start to then get some stories, which is where it ties in with the whole Thousand and One Nights thing. So the first story, this is a quite a funny one, I think. Um, so a blind man comes to sit and tell the story. And he talks about another sultan somewhere called Samandar, who has a magic mirror. And this guy prides himself on being the greatest lover in the city. And they bring him his breakfast to wake him up in the morning. And when they take the lid off the breakfast, like this big tray, a big dome over it, there's a naked woman covered in grapes <laughs> yes. and fruit. And that's his breakfast. Yeah, so yeah, he's, well, he's that, the, that, if that didn't wake you up. Yeah, so he's the greatest lover in the city, but he's got a talking magic mirror, and uh, but the the mirror tells him that he's no longer the greatest; he's the second greatest. So he wants to know who is the greatest uh, lover, and it's a guy called Abuise, Abuise, Abu, yeah, Abuise or something like that, yeah, something like that, and um, he is apparently known by all of the women in the town yes. like all of them he he knows all of the women without even seeing their faces or hearing them speak so so it becomes a challenge basically that he w- he will be allowed to say yes he is the greatest lover in the city if they can put him in a room in the dark and then have loads of different women come in and have sex with him and if he can say their names then he's the winner. Right. All but he has he, to be able to do is to identify whichever woman they send to him correctly, yeah. and he will be, and he and he's going to be given, uh, I forget how much gold, like 10,000 gold coins or something like yeah. that? Yeah. He'll be a, he'll be a rich man. Uh, so he's just got to, he's got to make love to all these women and then say their names afterwards whilst, whilst the, um, the Sultan sits outside and listens in getting increasingly furious because this guy has got such a great reputation that all the women, they all want to join in. Yes. Like he line, he lines up all these women and says, okay, who's going to volunteer for this task? And they all step forward, but they're all so excited. Well, you know, they're very patriotic. They, they yeah, want to help out their Sultan, it. you know? 
So um, because this guy is getting it right every time, the prime minister suggests that the last woman they should send in is the sultan's own wife. And of course, he's furious at that idea. But then he explains, ah, I see, we can. it's a catch-22 because if he says her name, that means um, he has done it before, he recognises her, so then you can execute him for adultery. But if he doesn't know her name, that means he fails the task and then you can execute him. So it's a win-win. So, <laughs> there's, no so way the to, Sultan, there's no way to lose on this one. Yeah, this is completely foolproof. So the Sultan agrees, sends his wife in, who has a lovely time. And, uh, and then when they come out, he tells her, oh, it was your wife. And he's like, great, I've got you now. So he brings him out, he gives him all the money, and then he takes it off him straight away. And he's got the executioner all ready to chop his head off. But then this is where the punch in the gut. Well, do you want to explain how he gets out? How does Abu Isay explain himself? Here? Oh, it's 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 very simple. Uh, he as he's about to have his head chopped off, he explains that he he knew that it had to be the Sultan's wife because, of course, she is the only woman he'd never had before who lives in the city. <laughs> uh, Perfect. And now he has all that gold. So he- yeah, he has and the gold. He's, he's, and, and it's not, and, and he can't be accused of adultery because the the husband of the woman sent him to sent her to him. So there you yeah. go. Um, and Andy's now had sex with everybody. Exactly. He's, che- he's checked that one. He's checked that. Whole, he's checked that final woman off his list. Yeah. Can move on. Because all he needs to do now is just move on to another city and start again. Start again. Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty funny. And um, so then we get back to uh, Al Al Mahmoud, the the Sultan, who's hearing the story, and it hasn't done that done it for him. This story has not, uh, which of course it wouldn't, because it's basically a story about another Sultan being rubbish. <laughs> another Sultan uh, really, really, really failing at attempting to prove yeah. how awesome he is. Yes. So, um, but then the blind man—they're about to chop his head off, and they realize he's died telling the story i don't know whether it was because it was so exciting that it killed him so um then two young men come in to tell the story of aladdin's grandson um also named aladdin for for for, also called aladdin the grandson of aladdin and they make this big thing about saying the grandson of aladdin no the grandson of aladdin the grandson of aladdin Questa è la storia di Aladino, nipote 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 di Aladino. I'm not entirely sure why. Not sure why. Maybe there's an attempt. Maybe it's funny to to make it uh, a separate thing from uh, a tale of Aladdin, as if. But I don't know why. Maybe it's a cultural thing, or maybe there's a a joke we're just not getting because, well, it's almost fifty years later. We have no clue what the the Italians would find amusing in this in this respect. Yeah, you say almost. It it is fifty years later. Oh, that's true. Yeah, scary. Nineteen seventy-two. Here we are. Oh God, it is fifty years ago. That's true. It's pretty terrifying so this is the story of aladdin which is probably the most famous of all the stories of the thousand and one nights and um so this is aladdin's grandson who knows where this cave is it must be a family secret so he goes to the cave uh, where he can find the lamp and he wakes up the genie and this is where we start to get because there weren't any 
there weren't any special effects in the first story but this is where we start to get some of Margariti's low budget special effects magic mm -hmm. and he, he wakes up the genie from the lamp and the genie sort of towers above him which I like the way they do this because in, in the wide shot he's sort of superimposed yeah. to be bigger than Aladdin but then for the close-ups they've just stood this guy on a platform so that his head is near the roof of the cave yeah they're just using forced perspective to to yeah. make him look larger so. <laughs> than life yeah she thought it was pretty clever and quite quite a neat and cheap way to do it mm -hmm. um so he wakes up the genie and what does he want he's in love ah he's, he's in, in love, love with a married woman though He's in love. He's in love with Barbara Boucher, and who wouldn't be? I was about to say, I do believe that most of the planet in 1972 was probably in love with Barbara Boucher, or yeah. let, let's call it by what it is: in lust with Barbara Boucher. Let's... Yeah. Um, now she, we we talked about her in the last episode because she was in one of those Canterbury Tales films, the mm -hmm. uh, the all naked horse, <laughs> where <laughs> she was the naked horse. Um, yes. So this time she gets to to do some quite good comedy business. So yeah, so he's in love with this woman. She's married to an older man, um, and he wants the genie's help. Now I'm not entirely. I don't quite understand the genie's reasoning here, but the genie gives him two suggestions. The first one is an invisibility potion. Yeah, which um, he can drink and then it'll make him invisible. So he can go and visit her. So that's fine. But then he also tells him about a magic carpet that he can use so that he can take her out to fly amongst the stars. And But this carpet will only land again after they've made love at least three times. Yeah, on the carpet, which seems a lot to ask. Yeah. <laughs> but, it was so, but I was really confused then because he's like, great, okay. So the genie goes back in the lamp. And Aladdin takes the invisibility potion and then leaves the carpet behind and just walks off. I assumed he was going to fly there on the magic carpet whilst he was invisible, but no, no, he's off. So he whips all his clothes off, except he forgets to take his hat off. So there's there's some shots of a, just a hat floating along, scaring people. Um, now, of course, I hate to bring this up, Rob. Oh, but God, what? This is only um, a year after, or a year or two, after Antonio Margariti did Mr. Super Invisible. Oh God, don't bring that film up. <laughs> so, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to mention the chimp, but, oh, damn, damn it. Um, uh, you're not going to mention the thing that you just mentioned. <laughs> you're a lying bastard. But, <laughs> but, um, but obviously Margariti's just had recent experience in pulling off invisibility tricks. Oh, this is so true, yeah. this, so this whole scene here is full of floating objects and curtains being moved out of the way. And um, he eventually gets to Marianne by climbing up the, the ivy and then across the balcony. Yeah. And we even see the ivy moving around as he's climbing along. So it's pretty well done. And, um, and then he embraces Marianne and she's shocked to discover that he's naked. <laughs> and, um, and he's caught a cold from walking around in the nude so he keeps sneezing which is quite funny but they uh he t explains this plan to her but then they also get down on the bed and there's a whole thing where she's kind of this is the sort of funny stuff for her i think where she's having to pretend to to embrace be, him yeah when he's, when, he's when there's actually man. nothing there yeah 
and he's pulling at her clothes and all sorts of stuff is going on this th- i have to th- to give full credit here um this this sequence and the the scenes that follow show me that it's, this is something i was not aware of uh barbara boucher had some comedy chops she's good yeah. at uh she's she's not overly she's not over mugging for the camera at any point in time no. she's actually good at communicating well the the funny the funny bits of business in a way that don't mm-hmm. feel like someone's playing to the back seats of the theater. She's doing a pretty pretty good job here, and I I I just I don't know why it surprised me so much. I guess because it's just that I've, I'm so used to seeing her in in much more you know dramatic roles and you know really tense you know thrillers and things of that of that type. But yeah. she really had some chops for comedy. I'm a, I'm a little I'm a little surprised, and I was kind of impressed. Oh, good. Yeah, she did do a few other comedies as well. If you look at her, I mean, obviously she's just like most actresses at that time. She's just in everything. Yeah, I, so and I just I, this I, this may be the first time I've ever seen her do comedy, and yeah. I'm I'm really really happy with her abilities. Yeah, because the obviously the sex comedies were so huge in those days that she's she's in a bunch of those. Yeah, uh, primarily to be there to to whip her top off i think probably <laughs> or to dance but naked to, on the hood of the car be, or yeah yeah to be not too crude about it but um but yeah she does get to actually do some quite good comedy in this scene as well and so they make this plan her husband comes along and she has to explain that she was having a dream and dreaming about him when he's he's a bit sort of confused as to why she's writhing around on the bed <laughs> on her own um but then, uh, so they make this plan that she needs new carpets for her room. She wants new carpets. And uh, this is perfect because Aladdin's got this magic carpet. So the next day, Aladdin turns up pretending to be the carpet deliverer. But he brings two carpets. Now, this is the where the hilarity comes in. Yeah, this, this is where you can see it coming towards you. Yeah. <laughs> brings two carpets. Uh, one magic carpet, one non-magic carpet. And he establishes with her that she has to wave the the uh, lamp in the window three times, and then he will know that she is in position on the magic carpet. And then he will use his magic words to make the carpet come out, which he does. So the first night, this all works. She flies out and gets on the. They get on the carpet together and they fly off into the sky and have a lovely time. And Margariti is using exactly the same magic carpet flying techniques that he used in the golden arrow yeah which i thought was nice so he's got a real carpet on a i don't know on a crane or something in the space but then he's also using sort of blue screen and he's cutting back and forth as well yeah he's cutting back and forth really cleverly so that your eye so that you're always seeing a slightly different view of the of the carpet and so you're you know it sells the effect much better than just you know a single way of doing the effect it's really good stuff Mm. so um they make love twice and then she wants to go down again but he he explains Uh, you use the bad phrase there she wants to go back home not go down Thank you. You're absolutely right. I apologize, everybody. <laughs> and he explains the whole three times thing to her. Oh man. Yeah. Okay. The the our, our language is filled with with pit, pit with pitfalls. Okay. Yeah. So you're right. She wants to land. Yes. And he explains. No. No. This isn't going to work unless we uh, we do it another three times. I'm sorry, one more time. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you're just saying that. 
so they try it they try saying the magic words but it doesn't work they so she's like okay fair enough so they do it one more time and uh then everything's fine then we move to the second night <laughs> the next day he pushes his luck and tries again mm-hmm. now oh yeah he first of all he runs back to tell the genie that um that it worked so he's very excited it all worked but he wakes the genie up um but he annoys the genie because he wakes up the genie whilst he is in uh, the lamp is in a different place so the genie comes out and um bangs his head on the ceiling <laughs> yes uh-huh. ah so the level of humor is so high so the suspicion is so the next day things go a little bit wrong mm-hmm. is it the genie getting his revenge that is the question. It's a good question. And so um, the next day, the carpets basically, it's a long story short, the cleaners mix up the carpets. So the carpets are the other way around. The, um, she's had too much to drink. And so she falls asleep. The husband gets up, gets on the carpet, accidentally waves the thing, the lamp in the window. Aladdin calls the carpet out, gets onto the carpet. It's not until they're in the air that he realizes what's happened here and that he's actually on the magic carpet with the uh with her husband the sultan <laughs> yes and then of course the sultan he's a, the sultan is is uh, furious demands that they land aladdin explains they can't land unless they've made love three times mm-hmm. so eventually the sultan says something like well okay it's uh I'll, you know it'll be a new experience and uh agrees and so the next day we cut to back at the palace and the uh, the sultan is pra- giving praise to the new what is it he calls him um oh, I can't basically the, the 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 great beauty of their court and uh and barbara boucher she looks all pleased because she thinks it's her and then actually the camera pans across and you see her annoyed how annoyed she is because um, the camera cuts to Aladdin because the hilarious punchline of this story is that her husband has turned gay. <laughs> yes, the quote-unquote hilarious punchline, yeah. In each of these situations, there is a, a eunuch um, and the, you know, the, the sultan has a eunuch and the eunuch is, is depicted in this film as, as being very camp. And so there's a lot of, there's quite a lot of basically homophobic jokes about gay, being gay and lots of camp references. Yeah, pretty over obvious gay jokes. Yeah, Yeah. which we also, we saw that in um, Ubalda. There was quite a lot in that that film as well. Yeah. So clearly this was something in the air in italian culture at that time oh well yeah i mean it's the macho culture of course you're going to you know you're going to make fun of the of the the homosexuals because of course that's a that's a class that you can make fun of relentlessly and it's always good for a cheap laugh no matter what you do you're going to you're going to get those people who even if they really don't think it's particularly funny or completely understand it are going to go ah 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 ah, 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 yes but it's yeah it's it's as cheap as it sounds but and of course, ending your story with that punchline is not going to help the great Ali Mahmoud 
uh, get his mojo on. Well, I have a before we move away from the magic carpet. Uh, oh yeah, I think on. that other than other than the the obvious, uh, yes, rife with you know, s- silly and pointless and 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 rather idiotic, uh, lowbrow gay jokes. Uh, you know, clearly that's that's it's the seventies, duh. Mm-hmm. But I gotta say, this is the perfect example of what is misaligned between Mr. Margariti and myself as far as comedy is concerned is perfectly illustrated by the fact that they overlay the sound of a motorcycle when the when the carpet oh, yeah. is in motion. <laughs> and it's just like, no, 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 no. Yeah, I'd no. forgotten about that. It's it's a terrible, terrible choice. And yeah. it, it, it immediately makes me just want to to to, to slap somebody. Just stop stop yeah. doing that. So didn't he do that? Oh, we've seen that in something else recently, where there was the sound of an airplane. Was didn't yeah. he do that in the Golden Arrow? Um, where there's a oh yeah, there's like the sound of a, a jetliner or something. Jet, yeah, there's a jet plane. Yeah, so clearly he thought flies. this. He thought that the juxtaposition of some modern sound that we would all recognize with with mm. a with a, a period of time set hundreds of years in the past is just it's just absolutely hilarious and it's like you want to pull into the side and go no maybe if you were eight years old and making a film i could understand your desire to do this but you're not stop no it's it's not good um and the story fails to help uh ali mahmoud and so the two storytellers who told the story of aladdin's grandson get their heads chopped off immediately whack and then we cut to the final story which is being told by a young woman and she's telling that she talks about a kingdom where there was a princess who demands like once a year she holds a contest and the winner of the contest will get to marry her and become ruler of the land but to win this contest you have to be able to make love to her 13 times in one night from from like midnight to when the cock crows and this immediately should tell you that this woman does not want to get married <laughs> No, exactly. This one, this woman Big, wants to once a year have an orgy, essentially, yeah. and 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 essentially try to kill some one single poor soul and then move on with her yeah. life. And then the, so there's a guy who comes forward who's who's up for the idea. And what I like here is it suddenly turns into a western. Well, he's dressed and, as, as as closely as they can make him. He's dressed as yeah. if he is the man with no name, uh, played by Clint Eastwood, and the spaghetti westerns made by Sergio. Yeah, Leone. and the, the the soundtrack goes mm-hmm. goes all sort of western as well, which I thought was really funny. Actually, that um, that that is funny. I was I was amused by that because that's a, a little bit of winking at the camera that actually plays well. Um, and so he's taken by because he sort of puts himself forward, but. A local guy in the town says uh, goes to show him the graveyard <laughs> where all the all the previous men who've tried and died, yes, uh, are now buried, which I thought was really funny. Um, but he's still going; he's still willing to give it a go, and so he goes into the palace and um, signs his name, um, and then he is introduced to lots of beautiful women. Who, um, who live in the palace and all, all sort of work for the Queen Aziza, who um, he proceeds to start having sex with. <laughs> yes. and, uh, and the courtier is like, what are you doing? You've got to save your strength. And he's talking about, you know, sharpening his knife or whatever it is he says, sharpening his blade. 
um, <laughs> so that he will then go off like a rocket. I think he said. Um, so oh he's very he's a very very confident young man, but he does uh, he makes one request, which is that between each go he wants to be able to climb into the trees because this palace has trees indoors, as you would. Well, I thought they were get... I thought they were outside in a courtyard. Oh, are they? There's a yeah, courtyard or yeah. something. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. He wants to get fruit from the trees, and there are uh, trees in the all around. Yeah, there are all kinds of fruit trees, so he'll be able to choose different, you know, whatever, whatever he wants. So they, they, agree. they agree to it. Yeah, which just seems fair enough. It's quite reasonable. If you're going to be doing that all night, you need to get, keep your strength up. Mm-hmm. So he finally gets to go in and meet Queen Aziza, played by uh, uh, Christine Schuberth, who is an Austrian actress who mainly did German sex comedies. It will probably come to come as no surprise. Um, and I think she may have done one of those um, like schoolgirl report films as well. Uh, all that kind of stuff. So she, but her job in this film is basically to, to have sex loads of times with this guy. And uh, they proceed to get it on. Oh, but in the meantime, out in the city, I nearly forgot this bit, this this is a major event. It's like a public holiday, yes. and people are making. This is like sport, and they're all making bets as to how many times he's going to be able to do it. And there's a and there's so a, there's a guy who's tasked with like uh, holding up a board with the number of times upon completion, yeah. and then going up to a balcony <laughs> and holding it out so everyone can see. Yes. Yeah. So it's a sort of major. It's like the Super Bowl. <laughs> yes. It's really kind of it's it's world it's the World Cup or the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's one of these things where everybody's interested and everybody's paying attention. And it's the talk of the town. So um, and of course, as is no surprise, he manages to keep it going to the point where she starts to get exhausted, and she's not sure if she can keep going because they make it to thirteen, and then and he continues eating. to go. He keeps going. I think he gets to twenty three. <laughs> yeah, something like that. And then the guy with the scoreboard complains that his board won't go any higher than that. <laughs> and um, and so he's he wins. He's won the contest. But this is where we then get the big reveal as to how he did it. Rod, mm-hmm. do you want to tell the tell the listeners how did he manage to keep going that long? Well, after of course uh, they're married and uh, everything is in place, he it turns out that. Uh, he is one of seven identical brothers, uh, one of uh, eight identical brothers. Eight, yeah. Uh, and so what he would do is that he they would station themselves in various trees, and so he would climb up into the tree to grab some fruit, and the 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 uh, not tired out brother would descend the tree yeah. with the fruit and continue on with their plan. Which I suppose, if you do the maths for that, means each guy only actually had to do it about three times, right? Which is you know that's. I guess if you're young and young virile, virile that's man, yeah. no challenge at all. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what my memory tells me anyway. <laughs> yeah, as long as you've got plenty of bananas on hand, you're fine. <laughs> um, but there's an extra twist. Oh, and there's also there's a, there's quite there's a little bit of uh, split screen, so that we see all the brothers on the screen at the same time, which is quite good. Yeah, well done um, too. Yeah, yeah. But then we get an extra twist, so they get married. And then she comes to she comes into bed with her husband, and she says to him, "Oh, I've ordered that they I ordered them to kill the cock, meaning the the cockerel because of the whole 
we've got to do this before the cock crows thing. <laughs> but then he, she, she, she opens up his shirt and he's put, he's looking down and she looks horrified because it, you know, it's almost like they killed the wrong cock because it turns out that this was the eighth brother and he has been castrated. <laughs> and the whole thing was actually done in revenge for the last guy that she had killed the year before, who I think only made it to 12 times. Right. And um, and he was a friend of his. So he's this whole elaborate thing was done to get revenge on this uh, insatiable princess. But that's not the end of the story, No, nope, nope. we have to have the capper. What happens because she's married to someone who's castrated? Oh, oh, oh! You, the, we 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 discover the the queen of Lesbos. Yeah, she starts to get get it on with all the girls that she, uh, the, all her servant girls exactly, and becomes becomes the first queen of Lesbos. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. dear! Yes. it's painful. It's, so the second story ends with a with a uh, twist in terms of sexual orientation and then this third one does it in reverse and the queen is forced by circumstance to become the queen of lesbos yes and then so then but then the extra twist we come back to um, sultan al mahmoud who has actually fallen asleep (laughs) he this story did not do it for him and he fell asleep so zumarud is still listening and this is when (laughs) the woman who's telling her the story turns out to be from the island of Lesbos herself and has come to yes. basically like bring Zumarud back to Lesbos and so they're leaning in for uh, for a kiss when suddenly um, Al Mahmoud sits up and he looks at them both about to kiss and he's like <gasps> and then it freeze frames and do we get a voiceover at that point that tells us what happens? I oh, I can't quite remember, but it is very, it's yeah. very much obvious that we're about to have a threesome here, and so this is, yeah. this has so finally a, worked the, its magic. <laughs> yes, there, there's a freeze frame, and then the voiceover tells us that this was the, basically how the threesome got invented. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't know about that, but hey, yeah. So I'll, I'll Al, go along with Al Mahmoud, this this was what he needed all along. He didn't. Zumarud was not enough for him. He needed two women, and he was able to perform. And then I think the voiceover talks about how orgies are six people, and five people. That's fine. I think that was like the final line. Five is still okay. Trying six to trying to do that careful delineation of exactly what you're calling yeah. the sexual activity that you're involved in. But yes. I was interested. I wonder why they chose to freeze frame. It almost I don't feels like he just ran out of money. I don't something. know. <laughs> like the film just basically stops there and they have to tell us what happened in a voiceover, which I thought was a little bit weird. It's an odd choice. Maybe maybe showing a threesome in on it on a cinema screen in a Catholic country was too much. Oh, that's a that's a possibility I hadn't thought about. Yeah. Even for a sex comedy that was that was more than they could really uh, get away with, I don't know. But uh, yeah, so there you go and that is the story of the bed of a thousand and one pleasures, bed of a thousand pleasures, house of a thousand pleasures, finally, finally a thousand and yeah, one nights, exactly thousand and one erotic nights, whatever you want to call it. Uh, outdated, offensive, um, silly, sexist, 
Oh, se- oh, definitely sexist, obviously. I mean, yeah. sexist should have probably been the first word used. But. The first one. But if you're able to watch it with the with a sort of trying to put yourself in the place of somebody who watched this 50 years ago, uh, still quite entertaining, I would say. Yeah if, if, yeah, if you can accept what you're looking at for what it is, and definitely a, a, a piece of the time in which it was, it was made, uh, it, it has its pleasures, not to be too obvious with the joke there. But the, uh, and first of all, is that it's gorgeous. It's shot and shot in gorgeous widescreen. It's a beautiful looking movie. Yeah. The um, cinematography is great. There's some really good use of widescreen mm-hmm. and wide angle lenses as well and things. Uh, also, I, I'm uh, I have to go out of my way to praise the uh, the fantastic score, which I think is both appropriate and mm. lush. It's uh, yes. it's, uh, Car- it's uh, Carlos Savina doing the the musical chores here, and he does his usual stellar job. It's wonderful, wonderful, music, yeah. beautiful stuff. And that's that's a good reminder. It was actually the soundtrack was put out on CD ten years ago. Oh, was it? Okay, um, but it's now out of print. And if you want to buy it. You're looking on Amazon. It's going currently for eighty-six pounds. Oh, that's ridiculous. That's a shame. They should reissue that because it's a, it's a yeah. really fine score. It's good stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's very good. Uh, I uh, would like to fits. say that uh, Dino Verdi, who co-wrote the screenplay with oh, yes. uh, Antonio Margheriti, uh, he's 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 someone to to pay attention to if you've uh, if you're curious about the work that. Um, well, I mean, you can just you can look at his list of credits and realize that this is a guy who. Whose, whose career threads through uh, Italian cinema from like nineteen the the the, the mid 50s all the way up through uh, almost almost all the way up through the the uh, mm. the mid to late 90s and he he's responsible for uh, having a hand in a number of really interesting movies uh, Argo Man the Fantastic Superman uh, yeah uh, he did That's the yeah song. he did the screenplay for that in uh, in 67. And if he did nothing else other than that, he would probably be someone that I would just tip my hat to right off the top of my head. But he's mm-hmm. uh, he's somebody who worked uh, in in these kinds of silly comedies, but he also was responsible for the story for some for some thrillers as well, like uh, The Ripoff and Death Walks in High Heels. Uh, he's, yes. he's, he's one of those guys whose name threads through this, you know, through this entire period of time, but he was also apparently... A successful songwriter, he wrote uh, lyrics for uh, for songs that won, you know, uh, music festivals and things of this nature. And so he he had oh, yeah. uh, more than a few things going on. He uh, wrote stage plays, and so Dino Verde, one of these little hidden guys okay. whose name yeah. just pops up in credits. And the more you dig into his in, into his um, into his uh, career, you realize, wow, this is this is another one of those guys who's kind of like yeah. hidden in plain sight, just because. He's not someone whose name is ever, you know, really underlined. I mean, he did he, he wrote uh, uh, some uh, some Euro spy films in the '60s and, st- and it's, yeah, don't forget, Uncle was a vampire, the uh, Christopher Lee vampire comedy, which, <laughs> which um, I still have never seen. He was no, involved in that too. I've yeah. got a feeling that was the first time Christopher Lee played Dracula outside of Hammer doing the after doing Hammer Dracula. You may be right. I think didn't... so. I, I think because it, it was like the year later, so he went to Italy to do Dracula again in a comedy mm-hmm. after doing that. Which um, that's one to add to our list if we do a, vamp, a vampire list. I, I sense <laughs> yeah, that no, I sense right. that it would be a painful, painful thing. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I don't know that 
does Lee play Dracula in that? I mean, the character yeah, listing is he, for Baron Rod, Rod, Rodrigo. I think he's basically the Frankfurter. Yeah, it's based. Well, it's basically cashing in on Dracula. And yeah, the poster yeah, is yeah. Dracula. We're not going to call it Dracula. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah. guess that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, no, that's a good shout. And um, this wasn't even Antonio Margheriti's only De Camerotici film. Yeah, he, he did done another one, one the this. same year. Yeah, called uh, Novelle Galliotte d'Amore which appears to be a lost Margariti film. I cannot find it anywhere. I did some research a while ago and all of Margariti's films uh, to see what was missing. Yeah, when you and mentioned I a, that, I was I became a little yeah. depressed and did a search myself, and I can't turn up a thing. Yeah. I did a blog post on all the missing Margaritis, and this is on there. So if anyone, everyone knows where this film is, the, the translation, I believe, is uh, something like short stories of convicts in love. <laughs> and it's very, very much a, looking at the imagery in the poster. It says Decameron on the poster, but hmm. it, the imagery looks like Canterbury Tales type stuff. They're all wearing sort of suits of armor and all that kind of. It looks very medieval. So, um, yeah. So who knows where that is? But yeah. So Margariti was very hot on the uh, on the, the Decameron films, doing two in a year, uh, because this was what he. This was how he worked. You know, he would yeah. just do where whatever the money was there to pay he would well i mean I, more and more the, the more i've learned about um even the way film directors work today in hollywood is there there are always you know multiple irons in the fire and they're just waiting to see yeah. which one gets you know gets tapped for the for production and so there's always three or four different things you can the more i learn about uh different different directors in their careers you know, it's it's pure chance that the films that actually got made got made rather than some other films that they were also interested in making. And sometimes yeah. making certain films meant, you know, completely precluded the ability to make some other film that might have also gotten funding if, you know, the, the green light came for one project over another, you know, a month before or after. And so it's really interesting to, to look at someone like Margariti's career and you, just, you look at, you know, him going from... Uh, something like uh, uh, Naked You Die, also known as The Young, The Evil, and The Savage, to Vengeance, mm -hmm. one of his better spaghetti westerns, to an amazing mm -hmm. little supernatural thriller called The Unnaturals, and then And God Said to Cain, which almost feels like a bizarre combination of supernatural, uh, supernatural tale and you know and 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 spaghetti western. And then the next film that uh, he did in the line of production is something like Mr. Super Invisible, a silly comedy. And then Web of the Spider, which is a remake of his own Castle of Blood. And then yeah. the missing Decameron film that we can't find at, at all. Uh, it's 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 really interesting to just know that whichever film got the money is where he had to go. And, you know, I, mm -hmm. I, I completely understand it, but it also makes for... Um, Let's just say if you did a uh, if you did a watch of films in production in, in production order for almost any Italian filmmaker of the seventies, you were going to feel like you were being jerked back and forth left and right because yeah. it was there's no there's no way to uh, feel like you're watching a coherent series of films other than possibly just the name attached to, to the director's chair. Yeah, absolutely. So this film was I say it was released in the UK in 1975. I I haven't seen any. I mean, it must have been released in the US, but I couldn't find any uh, reviews. It's not mentioned in Variety or anything like that. Hmm. But um, so the the review that I found in the UK from 1975, it said, despite some attractively lavish settings, this is the usual dispiriting mixture, dismally scripted, 
crudely dubbed. So that's interesting to know there is an English dub somewhere. Oh, I, and, I've not been able to find that. Yeah, yeah no. And hideously directed <laughs> with, a, with a sniggering emphasis on the unfunny mincings of practically the entire male supporting cast. That's fair. Uh, yeah, I can't, of, uh, I can't dispute that. Um, and then it closes with, by the film's own rules, everybody connected with its sexless and soporific narrative should be executed forthwith. <laughs> okay, that's that's pretty good. I like that. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. So the film was distributed by a company I've not really come across before, nor my research into distributors, called Focus. They appear to specialize in importing this kind of stuff. Hmm. Um, the film was still on release. I found some listings for this film in cinemas in Aberdeen, in 1979 wow so it was already seven years old by that point and it was doing a tour of the country on a double bill or certainly two films in the cinema perhaps not necessarily on the same bill but playing in the same week with a film called the naked man uh mm, <laughs> and i've been okay. trying to find out what this film the naked man is and it could be I've anything had... it could be a title yeah. almost any film it's insane yeah, so I've not had much luck. Uh, the closest I've got to, there was a German film, which it might be, but it was a documentary about life in East Germany. So I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a good be feature. But, well, I mean, one thing I've learned over the years with distributors is that they could pick up something that was not intended to be a sex comedy. They could retitle it and people would come and see it in the hope that there would be breasts. <laughs> So it's very possible that, that they were distributing uh, a, an East German documentary and calling it The Naked Man. Oh, well, I mean, considering the so, uh, considering some of the titles of some of the uh, schoolgirl school girl report films from Germany, some of the subtitles of those films, it's like, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. that's definitely true. It's like, yeah, well, how can we communicate to the public that there are going to be naked girls in this? Let me think, let me think, let me think. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and those films, oh dear, they're a little bit ropey. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. Great music in those too, though. Oh, yes. No, you're right. They really are. Um, I've got the CD somewhere. I think it's great. Mm -hmm. In fact, I have just found, whilst we are speaking, I have found a review of The Naked Man. Oh, yeah, no, this is the one distributed by Focus. Oh, okay. Here we go. This is Research Live. <laughs> so The Naked Man was actually a German film called Oswald Kohl Dein Mann das Unbekannte Wesen and it was a German film from 1970 so it is not oh my God. it's not the East German documentary that I thought it was this is um, a sex education film so it's a Ger German, <laughs> German sex education film with discussions about um sex in marriage uh, with a complete i'm sure lives. with photographs that would uh, hopefully yeah. titillate a sad audience realizing that they've yeah. been marched into a discussion that they have no interest in yes now i haven't seen this one but i did end up there's a chapter in my phd thesis about swedish sex education films because it was pretty common to get european sex education films and then repackage them mm -hmm. as sexploitation movies yeah. and sell them in in sex cinemas. Well, that so goes back got, to uh, that goes back to the earliest days of Hollywood in the thirties. Oh, which, sure, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, what 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 was happening in America uh, in the thirties and forties didn't start happening here until the seventies. Yeah, basically, we were like 
40 years behind um <laughs> it's, not, it's not a good thing to catch up on by the way it's, no, it's particularly bad actually but you've you've got all these guys in raincoats going to watch these films that are full of close-ups of diseased genitals <laughs> I and, know. Oh, God. and conversations with people smoking pipes talking about vibrators that that's really what these films tend to be uh, i watched a i watched a couple of the swedish ones that i wrote about um they're really bizarre so that's what this wasn't so okay so that that was a film from 1970 so in 1979 those two the, this film the german film and our Margariti film were still playing in cinemas as x-rated entertainment that's amazing so that's quite quite interesting yeah i mean Sort of just shows what people had to do before they had the internet, I suppose. <laughs> uh, or just any know. form of easy access to pornography. Yeah. Yes. So that was the only way to see naked ladies, was to see Italian sex comedies or German people showing you photos of um, horrible bits of other people's bodies. <laughs> and anyway... On that note, <laughs> I think so. Overall, then, what did you? If we look back at the three films that we've watched, the three Decameron films, oh, yes. How would you uh, rate them? Like, in, in sort of rank them in order. Well, this one, it, I don't find it particularly funny most of the time, but there was enough humor in it uh, to, to to keep me amused. Uh, so it's uh, on like the one to ten scale. I guess I give it about a five. I didn't dislike it, but I didn't particularly like it. But it was beautiful to look at, and I loved the music. Uh, I was taken out of it occasionally by some of the the sillier and point and more pointless bits of business, like the the motorcycle sound over the over the flying carpet. Uh, it, there's some choices made that you know are very much of its time. That you know, uh, granted. The, the phrase wouldn't sit well with an audience these days is obvious if you're watching this and you're not aware of what you're looking at you're an idiot but at the same time it's also just not you know it's it's not always my taste in humor but i was not bored uh it's it's such a pretty movie to look at and um i i'm, I'm not above being impressed by absolutely gorgeous women so sad to say i'm not uh, <laughs> i wasn't unhappy with watching this movie but uh, of the three it's the last film that i enjoyed more and it's the reason that i gave at the time which is there're just so many stories that you never have time to get irritated or yeah. or bored with the neck with stories there's only really three stories and then the wraparound story in this one and so there mm-hmm. are points where you're just like okay i know this is only 90 minutes total but let's you know let's get to the punchline and really yeah Yeah. the uh the only the the story i liked best in this is is clearly though the one uh, with the the seven brothers you know slyly (laughs) slyly taking care of business in the fruit tree but at the same time it's uh it, it is the it is the last film that we covered that i thought was uh the 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 best the one i enjoyed the most yeah i think you're right sexbury tales as it's a terrible Mm -hmm. english title called it yeah that was funny because there's about six different stories in that one so it does it does move at a pretty good pace yeah it just keeps going yeah yeah, yeah whereas ubalda all naked and warm just it drags kind of, itself just, out so far just keeps replaying over the same the same joke over and over yeah, again yeah <laughs> but i think it's been i've enjoyed looking at these and and sort of exploring the decameron and the the impact of pasolini's films on on italian cinema at that time and it it really did kick start the italian sex comedy of the 1970s which obviously there are just hundreds 
uh, it's something that we could come back to again if we're still doing the podcast but maybe like in 10 years time if we've run out of everything else to do uh, <laughs> we can come back to this semi-dry well yeah yeah because um, there are so many of them but yeah that's been really interesting um, yeah so well thanks I know that Italian comedy as we've said is not everyone's go-to but I think we've hopefully found a relatively decent way of, of approaching a few of them this time so that brings me to what's the end of this episode but just there's just time to say what we're going to move on to so the plan is that our next season we're going to go back to doing a full 10 episode season and we're going to look at the poliziateschi genre yes uh, or feloni so that should be uh, we're in the same decade uh, as these films pretty much some of the same cast as we've already mentioned mm-hmm. but a very different tone I think it's fair to say. Oh, definitely, yes. Yeah. So that will be interesting. I'm looking forward to getting stuck into those. Some of them I have seen, but some of them it'll be a first-time watch as well. So it'll be, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's one of the exciting things about it is uh, the list we're playing around with is a combination of movies that I am well aware of and have seen and some that I I, I have not yet watched. And so that's going to be fun to do. Yeah, great. Well, thank you again, Rod, for taking the time to uh, to do this and dip your toe into unfamiliar comedy waters um oh i I nearly forgot to mention my favorite line of the film oh what the first the first uh blind the blind storyteller he he sits down and he says and i had to write this down because i thought it was so funny this is the story of the greatest lover of all time the powerful samandar all the easy girls run up to him like flies on a turd there's an image for you what a way to start a story (laughs) i'm going to describe this great lover as a piece of well i won't say the word well yeah i guess i could say the word but no that that's uh no wonder the sultan was struggling to uh to get it up if that's the kind of storytelling he was yes yes if if he's surrounded by people who use such analogies i i i I fail to see how he was able to ever have children yes yeah no well, it, it, but there you go. It was the threesome. That was the magic, uh, <laughs> the magic solution. It's the, okay, the, anyway. the, the typical heterosexual male fantasy. What a shock! Yeah, I know. So there we go. We will no doubt talk about Antonia Margariti again. Probably uh, so. Yeah. In the future, um, but uh, our next podcast episodes will be far less. Uh, focused on sex, which is probably a good, probably a good thing. People don't want to hear that. <laughs> let's uh, let's let's elevate this above the waistline, yeah. please. Yes. Let's talk about people getting shot instead. Yeah, and run um, over by cars, and you know, yeah, yeah. often the same car. As we <laughs> start to recognize, hang on, didn't I see that scene, that car chase in the last? Isn't one? that the same? Anyway, yeah. Yeah, we'll come to that. So, thanks again, everybody, for listening. Thank you. Also, we just hit uh, two thousand downloads Excellent. since we started. So, thank you very much, everybody. Do uh, tell your friends, share this podcast on social media. Uh, you can also contact us on social media. We're at Wild Wild Podcast on Twitter, and uh, email is wildwildpod at gmail dot com. I think. It's all in the show notes, uh, so check there. I can't remember, um, but it'd be great to to hear from you what you have thought of what we've been doing so far, and any suggestions for future episodes is always welcome as well. And that's it. So we'll say ciao, 
for now. Uh, goodbye. Thank you for listening. Thank you again, Rod. And uh, we will talk to you all again soon. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.